Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here. A fellow that's never been to Zion, that's never been to Camp Zion, is like the fellow was a little bit inebriated, and he walked up and the fellow was telling about where all he had been, and about his great game hunting in Africa, and the lions and tigers and snakes and so forth. And finally, this drunk said to him, says, Mister, have you ever had the DTs? He said, no. Well, he said, you ain't never been nowhere, and you ain't never seen nothing. <laughs> so if you haven't been to Zion, amen. <laughs> I despaired of getting come this year. You remember, I remember when they prayed for me here on this platform, and Mrs. Lakin is here with me now. Mrs. Lakin, stand up. Where are you? Over here, maybe they can see you. Thank you. Ms. Lakin said to me last night, she said, I'm going to ask Brother Percy to pray for you again before you leave. She believes in it. She believes in his prayers. I believe that I'm here because of that prayer circle that night. And I believe that God's going to strengthen me. Someone said, do you think you'll die? I said, not this year. <laughs> I've always noticed if I live through March, I live the rest of the year. What I've been trying to figure out is where I'll die. If I ever get that figured out, I'll never go there. <laughs> I think God likes a little humor, don't you? Yeah. In fact, he made the monkey and the parrot and some people I see. <laughs> he said, be not of a sad countenance as the hypocrites are. A lady said to me that one day, she said, have you ever read that verse in the Bible about jesting? I said, yes, it's in that same verse that says that you should not be of a sad countenance that the hypocrites are. Did you ever have people come up to you and say, they put on that sad face, looking like the advance agent for the undertaker, <laughs> coffin under one arm and a tombstone under the other, and say, brother, do you have the joy? He enjoys that. <laughs> they said, do you have the victory? When I shake hands with that pecker, would I count my fingers when I get it back? <laughs> you know, humor is a matter of timing, largely. Young fellow just got out of the seminary and got his first church, and he was trying to do well, and so he was visiting everyone he could visit, and the lady had a, a young baby, and so he went to see the baby and the lady, and he went in, and what he intended to say, is that a baby? But you know what he said? He said, is that a baby? <laughs> I enjoyed that message this morning, didn't you? Amen. A young preacher said to me the other day, what advice would you have for a young preacher? I said, first of all, wallow in the Word of God. Learn the Word of God and then learn to preach the gospel. Don't chase rabbits. Kill lions. Don't, don't chase rabbits. Preach the gospel. And the gospel is how Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. How he died for our sins. How many of our sins? Here's where I'm born. Here's where I'll die. 
When he laid my sin on Jesus, he laid all my sin, past, present, and future. And when he died for our sins, how many did he die for? Past, present, and future. So the moment I trust Jesus Christ as my complete Redeemer, then, then I'm saved. I'm saved because all of my sins are paid for from the time I'm born till the time I die. And God never makes two men pay the same debt twice. You said, not my future sins, honey. They were all future when Jesus died. You hadn't committed any of them. Now, I'm going to upset your apple cart a little bit. I'm sick and tired of this. Come now and make your commitment. And they're having committed all the time. What have you got to commit? You're not coming making in a commitment. Then I've heard them say, now just give your heart to Jesus. What does he want with your dirty old heart? <laughs> You're not giving your heart to Jesus. A new heart, oh, a new heart, they said, I will give you. He said that to Israel, not you. And then another thing I've heard them say too. Now you want to watch the Roman road a little bit. Now I ask God to forgive you. Big sinner said, now ask God to forgive you. Might as well ask God to damn you. Why? Because God doesn't forgive sinners upon confession. Confer forgiveness means to let off without recompense. So if Jesus, if the sinner could have come up and cried like a whipped puppy and asked God to forgive him and God could have wiped it out, Jesus need never have died. You're not forgiven. You're not pardoned. You're paid for by the blood of Jesus. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't say believe on God the Father. Because God the Father doesn't save you. Didn't believe on God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit doesn't save you. Doesn't help save you. You're saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who paid the sin debt upon Calvary. The moment I believe and trust him as, all, as my complete redeemer, I'm assured of heaven as it is already there. Lady said to me not long ago, Dr. Lakin, you think you're going to make it? I said, already got it made. For <laughs> God is concerned, I'm already seated in heaven with him. She said, suppose the devil gets you. I said, get me. How is he going to get me? He doesn't know where I am. <laughs> For my life is hid with Christ in God. Here I am. My life is hid with Christ in God. He may throw mud at me every now and then. But it never hits me. Every now and then he'll peep in and say, How are you getting along, son? Coming swimmingly. Nothing's hurt me so far. Why, if the devil could get me after I'm saved, he'd have to go through the Holy Ghost and through God and through Jesus. Why, he'd get saved himself before he got that for you. Fellow said to me the other day, fellow said to me the other day, the one thing I can't understand is this once saved, always saved. I said, Have you ever been saved? Yeah, I said, How'd you unsave yourself? I said, What saved you? He said, I got baptized. Now then, I said, If you're lost after you're, after you're saved, would you have to be baptized again? He said, No. Well, I said, If it took baptism to save you the first time, it'd take baptism to save you the second time. Why, every time he had an evil thought, I said, you'd have to get ducked. 
I said, the tadpoles would be familiar with your social security number before you knew it. <laughs> no. Salvation by grace takes all the, the glory off of the man and puts it on Christ. Amen. Salvation by works takes all the glory off of the Christ and puts it on the man. I'm saved. And you know what? We, I, I ran into some people the other day that believed in repeated regeneration. Now, whatever that is. That is that you're born again and again and again. Well, I said, then how would a man enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? I couldn't be born twice of my mother. Neither will you be born twice of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Once for all, O oh sinner, believe it. I want the Lord to let me live a few more years. I've got something I want to tell the people that I believe they need to know. Amen. <laughs> you see, I was born and reared away back down in the head of the holler. Rode a mule. Got six dollars a month. Pastored the church. Nobody talked about me then or called me a grafter. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, preacher, something. If you want everybody to talk about you, if you don't want anybody to talk about you, do nothing, have nothing, and know nothing. But if you want people to talk about you, I'll tell you what you want to do. If you want all the preachers in town to be against you, build the biggest church in town. Amen. Amen. And they'll begin to pick it. And a fellow that criticizes you, you're doing something that he can't, and he's jealous. Now, if you can't treat the possum, don't kill the dog that can. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Just like Brother Percy. Now, 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 you can't do like Percy. That's his way of doing it. Some fellow, somebody said, Dr. Lincoln, who, whom did you imitate when you were starting out? I said, no one. There wasn't anyone to imitate. I had to start out on my own. Amen. <laughs> I was preaching with Dr. Tom Malone. And his, his, his students, they could go talk. They had Tom's voice and... And I, I was speaking, and I said, it's all right for you to talk like Tom, but you don't have to walk through children. <laughs> if I couldn't strike but one uh, note on the piano, it would be B-natural. <laughs> now, you get that by slow break, but anyway. <laughs> I don't know. But I said, Dr. Lincoln preaches the same sermons. Well, that's true. That's true. Said I heard him preach three years ago, and I heard him preach three times since and preached the same sermon. I said, that's strange. I heard him three years ago and don't remember a thing he said. <laughs> the next time I preach here, I don't know, today or tomorrow, you never know when person is. So I just keep myself ready. Be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, you'll call for it. I like the way you did that last night, don't you? I wouldn't do I couldn't. I couldn't do it that way, but that's his way. And let every man be himself, amen? He got the money, and that's the main thing he's after, amen? You see, just after the money. Well, he got it. Amen. 
You are too, but you didn't get it. Amen. <laughs> I want you to pray for me in the next few weeks. It's going to be a tremendous trip that I'm attempting. Dr. Falwell and I are going to Australia at the invitation of the government. And then we're going to come back and hold a meeting. My wife knows where. Where is it, honey? Korea. Going to be in Korea for a few days. I'll let Jerry do the preaching there. I'll preach in Australia because they talk my language. <laughs> I never could preach much with an interrupter, amen. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm glad to be here, and I'm going to keep coming on back as long as Percy will let me. If he doesn't let me, I'll come anyway, amen. I'll put myself on the evangelistic committee and invite me. That's what I'll do. <laughs> There's not another one like him on the earth. Amen. I do not believe that there is a more righteous, godly, clean, earnest man that walks the earth today than Percy Ray. Open your Bible with me, if you will, please, to the book of James, the book of James, chapter 4. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lust that war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and, and ye have not, ye fight in war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not because you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your lust. Our Heavenly Father, as we come to speak now, make us pliable in the hands of the Holy Ghost. Help us to preach today as though this would be the last sermon we'd ever preach, and it may be. Because one of these days we will preach the last. You'll tap us on the shoulder and say, Old soldier, it's time for you to come home. Help these people to listen now as though this would be the last sermon they'd ever hear. And it may be. Because one of these days we will hear our last one. I wonder how, Lord, I wonder how I would preach today if I knew that this was the last sermon I'd ever preach. And I wonder how these people would listen if they'd know this was the last sermon they'd ever hear. Thank you for this camp, Zion. Thank you for Percy Ray. Pray that thou will supply all of his needs according to the riches. And that's a good bank account. Bless this message now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for coming in this great crowd. The one thing that's puzzled me, now I say this humbly and I say it honestly, the one thing that has always puzzled me has been why people would come to hear me preach. I never graduated from high school. I wouldn't know a noun from a pronoun hardly, or a preposition from a proposition. But there's one thing I know. Once I was blind, but now I see. 
My wife was a school teacher, English teacher. But she has never once criticized me. She's taught me quite a bit. When we first got married, she said, now, you being the big strong one, you won't want to bother your man with little minor problems. So I'll make all those decisions. And I'll leave you just for the big major problems. We've been married to be 60 years, the 5th day of June, next June, and there's never been a major problem at our house. Every time I want to speak, I... Okay. I want to speak to you now. I want to speak to you for a little while on hindrances to prayer or why God doesn't hear us when we pray. I suppose if I'd ask this question to this audience today and say, how many of you believe in the existence of God? A hundred percent, you'd put up your hand. And then if I would ask the second question and say, how many of you believe that that God answers prayer? A hundred percent, you'd put up your hand. But if I'd ask you a little bit more personal question and say, how long has it been since God answered a prayer for you? How long has it been since God answered a prayer for you? Let me say this. You say, well, I was praying for so-and-so and they got saved. Maybe someone else was praying for them. So you don't know whether your prayer was answered or theirs. If you want to know whether or not God answers prayer, then select something that no one knows about, but you and God, and pray about that. Now, if there is a God, and we say there is, and that God answers prayer, and we say he does, and God is not answering prayer for me, then there must be something wrong either with God or with me. Cannot be with God because God is holy. Therefore, it must be with me. If God is not answering my prayers, then there must be something that's clogging the stream between God and me. There must be something that's clogging the channel. And let me tell you something. It's important that we keep the channel open between God and us. There might come one of these days, there might come an emergency at your house. And you need to get through to God quickly. You wouldn't have any time to clean up and straighten out and confess sin. You wouldn't have time for that, the average prayer that you hear, that, O thou eternal God, from out whose hands the centuries fall like grains of sand, we realize, why, if Peter had prayed like that when he was sinking, he'd have drowned before he ever got around to it. When you want to talk to God, come up and tell him something, Amen. Now, if God is not answering my prayer, then there must be something wrong. And we need to find out what that is and get it out of the way. Do you know the reason why God doesn't answer our prayers mostly? He said, you ask, you receive not because you ask not. That's the unoffered prayer. You'd be surprised if you'd pull your watch on your prayer life, you'd be surprised to see how little time you really spend in prayer. Little boy said to his daddy one day, he said, Daddy, is God dead? He said, No, sonny, God isn't dead. Why? He said, I don't hear you talking to him anymore. If we, the one of the sins, one of the cardinal sins that I have to confess more than any other sin is the sin of prayerlessness. Dr. Truett, I heard Dr. Truett say he was born yonder in the mountains of North Carolina. 
And when the others had gone off to the field of a morning, his mother would say to him, George, you watch the children. And I'd see her go down back to the house. And then she'd come back after a while with her face all aglow. And one morning I slipped down the path behind her and I saw her kneeling under an old apple tree and I heard her say, dear Lord, I can't ever rear these big boys unless you help me. When she came back, I said, Mother, what does that mean? And she said, George, you're too little to know now. But someday you'll understand. And he said, today I do understand. But take time to be holy, to speak off with the Lord. I'll tell you, preacher, when you neglect your prayer life, you're going to be a failure. Dr. J. Wilbur Chapman, perhaps the sweetest evangelist that ever built of the globe. Dr. Chapman said he was in Melbourne, Australia. And he said in a great meeting in a tabernacle. And the praying evangelist of Australia called him on the phone. And said, I'll be leaving the city in a few days. Doubtless you'll not see me. You'll not see me at the tabernacle, but I'll be praying for the meeting. There came a day, he said, when that meeting took on a peculiar power and a peculiar interest that lasted for some ten days. And then my phone rang. And he said, I'm leaving the city. Before I go, I would like to see you. I went to his hotel room. We sat and talked for a while. And then he said, before you go, shall we not pray together? And he said, we knelt side by each until there came such a quiet and such a holy hush that it seemed the presence of God was so real that it was almost sacrilegious to breathe. And in that, in that, in that quiet attitude and atmosphere, he slipped his arm around me and simply said, O oh God, put thy power upon this thy servant. I believe he will honor thee. Amen. Dr. Chapman said, I rose from my knees a different man. I remember when I first got saved, and I like that word saved. God delivers from the decisions. We had so many decisions, what they decided to do. We had so, so many decisions, so many commitments. I like to think about so many got saved. So many got saved. I like that word, S-A-V-E-D. I never heard of all these newfangled things until I started. Fact of the matter is, we had to have a now evangelists and all got to have a staff and song leaders and pianists and everything. I never heard of a staff when I started out. Never heard of a staff. Young preacher said to me the other day, "I'm I'm going in. I'm going to be an evangelist." I said, "You are." He said, "And I'm getting me up a staff. I've got me a pianist." He said, I need a good song leader. Do you know where I could get me a good song leader? I said, son, what you really need is a preacher. <laughs> but I remember when I first got saved, and I remember that night. Yonder in that little one-room country church at the Forks of the Creek, I was 17 years old. That old preacher, priest, nephew of Devil Lance Hatfield, the leader of the Hatfield McCoy feud, preached that night. On when I see the blood, I will pass over you. I could hardly wait. I never had gone forward in a meeting. I never had even lifted my hand. I could hardly wait until he finished. 
They started to sing that old choir, that old country choir started to sing. And I came across there and knelt at that little old pine mourner's bench. And said, and I prayed and somehow trusted him. And he came down the aisle with a cross on his back and a crown of thorns on his head. And said, what can I do for you? I said, do for me that that I cannot do for myself. There wasn't any great demonstration that night. There was a deep, settled peace came into my soul to stand the crush of world. My mama looked like she was walking on a sea of glass. I walked out of that little room that night and the stars came out on dress parade and the trees bowed down their head and said, we're glad. And as I walked over the little red clay hills, I sang, hallelujah, it is done. I believe on the sun. I'm saved by the blood of the crucified one. Jesus leaned over heaven and dropped, and dropped a whole chunk of honey and hit me in the left side of the soul and turned it over and it's been oozing out between my ribs now for 62 years. And tonight my pancake trees loaded to the water line and my honey pond's full to the brim. I got a bee gum in the backyard of my soul. Ain't been robbed this year. I believe my bees are going to swarm before I get down today. <laughs> I walked out that night as a country boy. I started a week after I was saved, I preached my first sermon. I haven't missed a week since except when I was in the hospital for 62 and a half years. I've never been without a place to preach. I've never asked a man for a meeting. I believe if I stand by the word of God, the God of the word will stand by me. Who would have ever dreamed that I'd be crossing the oceans yonder to the edge of the world to preach in Australia at the invitation of the government? I could never have dreamed of that in my fondest dreams, my friend. Someone asked me the other day, how far is it to Australia? I said, I don't know, just as far as it is. That's all, that's all. You can't go no farther. You step off when you get there. That's the end of it. Listen. I prayed. You know what I did? I started praying. I prayed in every fence corner. I prayed when I fathered the cattle. I prayed when I fed the pigs. I, pray, I prayed when I milked the cows. I prayed. I prayed as I plowed around the rocky hillside. I knelt at the end of the corn row and prayed. I shall never forget one day as I knelt. And I said, Lord, I'll never have any money to give you. I'll never be rich. I'll never have a great education because I can't go away to college. But I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll work hard for you. <laughs> Listen to me, my friend. I've, I lived those days in prayer until I'd be riding along the road on a horse and pass people and never know it. That's what he means when he said pray without ceasing. Oh, I long for that day again. I, I got so busy, so busy doing this and doing that. If a lot of preachers would cut out a lot of things they're doing, they wouldn't be that, that's so useless. You don't need to be pity-patting around over town and tying up sore toes and carrying sugar rags and telling 
Old sister broadmouth and brother widow, oh, how you missed them last Sunday. You don't need that. I was pastor and a woman said, woman said, woman said, you didn't come to see me last week. I said, why should I? She said, I was sick. I said, did you have a doctor? I said, yes. Did you call him or did he just drop in? I called him. I said, why didn't you call me? I didn't know him. Well, I said, didn't you miss me last Sunday? I said, I sure didn't. Well, she got so hot if you'd have spit on her, she'd have fried. Let me tell you. <laughs> I told my pastor when I joined the church in Titusville, Florida, I told my pastor, I said, you don't have to recognize me every time I come to church. Don't call on me every time I come to church. You need to come to visit my family. If they need you, they'll send for you. We're going to give you your time to go from the homes and hearts of unsaved people and lead them to Jesus Christ. Just quit piddling around, amen? Just quit doing that. I was preaching not long ago. I was preaching several years ago. I announced one night I would preach on hell. And the next, and I was staying in the old preacher's home. We went to the house that night and he said, you know, when I came here, they told me just to be nice and bury the dead and marry the people and they'd pay me. He said, if I'd mentioned the word hell, I'd have to explain what I mean. Well, I said, Doc, get ready. They're going to get hell for the next week. Let me tell you that. <laughs> ah, my preacher, take your prayer. Somehow I'll get you some gun. Tamp your old gun down. That's what I've done. I take my old gospel gun and fill her up with ham arms and log chains and salt rock and cayenne pepper and TNT and turpentine and tamp it down till the ramrod jumps out about six inches and then I take cock both barrels and close both eyes and let her go and the fur flies and they furnish it. That's what I'm telling you. <laughs> but now you can get you up a little sermon this and come out on Sunday morning and turn somersaults in the Big Dipper and shave the face of the man in the moon and profound pious platitudes and all that, my friend, while the world's going to hell so fast you can't see it for the dust. Dr. Falwell was preaching the other night. Out yonder in Texas the other night, he was preaching against murder, killing little babies, murder the unborn. And a woman raised up back there and threw a pie and hit him in the face with it. He said he just raked it off, pulled off his coat, it all over his coat, and hung up his coat, and never missed a lick, went right on. Listen, sometimes we pray, sometimes we pray. Now, this is the unoffered prayer. We don't, we don't, he said, you receive not because you ask not. Now, he said, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss, that you might consume it upon your own lust. That's the unanswered prayer. And the first thing is this. He said, Father, glorify thy name. Glorify thy name. Crucify thy Son that thou art also be glorified. And the reason you don't get an answer to your prayer when you pray is because you had a selfish motive in your prayer when you prayed it. God want to know what the motive was. Selfish motive. The old maid. I don't call them old maids now. I call them unappropriated parcels of feminine blessing. <laughs> I was preaching in Richmond, Virginia, and the waitress was amazed, had a pin on. She put down my coffee and I said, okay, ma'am. She said, I'm not a ma'am. 
I said, well, I'm sorry, sir. I believe God created them male and female. Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. A woman said to me, you all the time talking about the women. Where would the men be if it weren't for the women? I said, back in Eden, sitting around under the trees, having a good time. <laughs> Did you know the devil took a woman without a man in it and brought the downfall of the race? I don't get mad. Why? He said it was the woman in the transgression. It was the woman in the transgression. God said, Mr. Devil, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'll take a woman without a man in it, and I'll redeem the race. For a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a child of the Holy Ghost without a man in it. He said, and of course, you'll hang him on a cross. You'll bruise his heel. But while you're doing that, he'll get your head. My niece came home from college one day and said, Uncle, the professor said that Jesus couldn't have been born of a human mother without a human father. I said, well, ring a dangling. I said, you tell the little peanut brain, possum-headed, pin, whiskered, rabbit-faced monstrosity that prays our Father which art in a coconut tree, you tell him that I said the first man that ever got in this world got here without either father or mother. Crack that. But the first man, she said, came by the way of evolution. I, I said, then where did the germ, the first germ, come from? Life has never been generated from dead matter. She said, the first germ came from another planet on a meteor. I said, do tell. I said, don't you know that a meteor is a blazing ball of fire? I said, how would a germ live? I said, you better get in the house. I'll an automobile run over you and kill you. Let me show you. God created Adam as he said he did. Amen. <laughs> said it wasn't good for him to be alone, so he performed a major surgical operation with an anesthetic. Put Adam to sleep and opened his side and took out a rib, the cheapest cut. But anyhow, <laughs> and created Eve. And then the devil preached the first sermon. He preached it. And he said, God said, I, I, he said, Mr. Devil, I, I gave you the earth. You weren't satisfied with it. You thwarted my plans. Now I created another man, another woman, and you thwarted my plans. This is what I'm going to do right now. This little child that's born of a virgin without a human father will someday die upon a cross and lay hold upon you and drag you down and put you in hell where you belong. But I've got to start to tell you, I said, they have a selfish motive. The old maid went to pray, very unselfish, and she said, Dear Lord, dear Lord, I'm not going to ask you for a thing for myself. I don't want anything for myself, but please send my mommy a son-in-law. I believe it's scriptural. I believe it's scriptural to have revival. Amen. Amen. 
Revive thy work, O God, in the midst of the people. And if there's ever been a time when we need a revival in America, it's now. You say, Dr. Lakey, do you think we're going to have a revival? I see no evidence of it. There may a little be a little quickening in the body of Christ here and there. But as far as there being a great stirring, a great movement, some of these fellows will have 50,000 in a, in a meeting, 50,000 great campaigns. Mr. S Mr. Rhoda Haber told me when he was with me after he'd been with Mr. Sunday for 20 years, and he said, you know, Dr. Lincoln, I wonder how much of this that's going on today is revival and how much of it is Hollywood promotion. He said when Mr. Sunday went into a city and stayed for 10 weeks, 12 weeks, he said towns went dry, saloons went out of business, dance halls closed down, theaters went out of business. He said, do you see anything like that happening now? Drinking just as much booze, just as much gambling, killing little unborn babies, thousands of them. You say murder, listen, the murder of the unborn I saw out yonder the other day where they opened a tank near a hospital and found over 2,000, they called them fetuses, over 2,000 little babies that had been aborted. 2,000 of them that had been aborted. They're dying a million a year. I'm going to tell you, my friend, unless something happens to this country. Dr. Falwell seldom ever holds a rally, but what he's not picketed, picketed by the crowd, picketed by that crowd. He said, I believe he said that we can turn this world around if enough of God's people will come clean, amen. But why do we want a revival? Do we want a revival because we love God and hate sin? Or do we want a revival because we want to increase our membership? Because we want to increase our giving? Because we want to get this or that? I went to hold a meeting once and was this old man, and I, we had some young people saved, and that night we went over to his home. And I said, Doctor, it was a good meeting tonight. He said, oh, yes, but I wish we could get some of these big influential businessmen in. That would mean so much to the church financially. I said, God will never answer your prayer. You want a revival to increase for a, for a selfish motive. Well, he said, well, I have the elite in my church. He said, we have the upper crust. Uh, yeah, the upper crust. The upper, you know what an upper crust is? A few crumbs held together by dough. That's an upper crust. <laughs> you know when you're going to have a revival? When you love God and you hate sin. And you said, Lord, save who? Send a revival. Save whomsoever you will save. Black or white, red or yellow, down and out or up and in, it doesn't matter. Save those tonight that need salvation. God give us a revival. I'll tell you another thing. You're not going to have a revival when you quit these little mini revivals. You can't have revival in three days anymore and you can have a crop of corn overnight. Amen. Fellas said, well, my people wouldn't come more for a week. I said, yours wouldn't, but God's would. Yeah. I said, yours wouldn't come at all if it wasn't for the looks of it. They wouldn't come Sunday if it wasn't for the looks of it. Go back to the old days when I was a boy, and I can see them coming across the meadows and not down the hills. I can see them coming in wagons and carrying their lanterns and lasting until 11 o'clock. And they start the meeting, and they don't know how long it's going on. Maybe a week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, five weeks. 
I was in the First Baptist Church of Kingsport, Tennessee for six weeks. Preached every night, and I saw people come for a hundred miles. I was in Johnson City, Tennessee, and put up my own tabernacle. Nobody sponsored me. I, I, I put up my own, my own tabernacle, took a tobacco warehouse and made a tabernacle. Started with about 150 people, and one little cotton mill preacher gave me his, his blessing. And then we stayed there. I stayed there for 13 weeks and preached from two to five times a day for 13 weeks and baptized 150 in the creek, my friend, on Sunday afternoon. A little Methodist preacher came down to the meeting when it got going. I started with 150 and wound up with 3,500. This little preacher came down and said, Who sent you here? Did the, minister, did the ministerial association? I said, No, neither did the Brewers Convention. <laughs> Who sent you here? I said, That's a good question. Who sent you? He said, My bishop. I said, My bishop sent me. He said, Who? Who is your bishop? I said, Jesus Christ, heaven's the headquarters. The Holy Ghost is the district superintendent. That's it. Oh, he said, you're an independent. I said, no, I'm dependent. You're independent. We'll never have revival, my friend, until we come to the place when we love God and hate sin and say, sin revive. A mother came to me, a wife, and said, pray for my husband. And I said, she, I said have you prayed for him? She said, for 10 years. I said, that's strange that he hasn't been saved. How did you pray? She said, you know, he's a drunkard. He's an alcoholic. And she said, I pray that he might get saved. It'll be so much easier on the children than myself. I said, honey, God will never answer that prayer. You want your husband saved for convenience. You get to the place where you love God and hate sin, and you said, save my husband. That in the salvation of my husband, thy name might be glorified upon the earth. Then God will answer. We had, a, we had an evangelist in Louisville, Kentucky, George C. Keats, 75 years ago. George Keats had the greatest meetings that was ever in that section of the country. He held them in auditoriums. Why he held them in auditoriums or school buildings. He didn't have a choir. Didn't have any music man. He had somebody lead his song. He had a platform. He just had a table here and a chair. He came in and sat down on, on the platform. And then they sang, There is a fountain filled with blood. What can wash away my sins? Amazing grace. And then he preached. He preached on the topless heaven to be saved in. The blood of Jesus Christ to be saved by. And he'd, say, he'd come over that. And then he'd sit there. And then he'd cry after a while and he'd say, Lost. 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 Lost and he said it until they could feel it. And then he'd say, the blood, the blood, the blood, the blood, and he'd say it until they could see it drip. Men came by the scores to get saved. A man came and said to him, Dr. Keats, I've often prayed that God would let me be filled with the Holy Ghost so I could have power with God and men like you. And Dr. Keats said, you'll never get it. He said, why? He said, because you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit so you can be like George Keats. He said, when you were tired of your empty life and you said, Lord, send the Holy Spirit into my life. He said, I'm tired of my empty, powerless life. I want to be filled with the Holy Ghost that with a Spirit-filled life I may be able to glorify thee upon the earth. Then God will answer. 
Then God will answer somebody. Said, Dr. Leggett, how long do you think you'll be going on? I do not know. The heart of the king is in his hands. I do not know. I do not know. He said, when are you going to retire? Never. The fellow that retires didn't want to do what he's doing in the first place. Amen. No, I never intend to retire. I intend to keep on keeping on. Keeping on, keeping on, preaching, preaching, traveling. Then one of these days, the captain of my salvation will tap me on the shoulder and say, Old soldier, it's time for you to come home. And then I'll get in the boat and push her out from the bank and step out on the other side and say, Good morning, Jesus. And then I'll hang my sword on the shimmering wall of the city of God and hear him say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Oh, if I would walk with God like Enoch who walked with God. He walks along and he walks late. And God said, Enoch, it's closer to my house than it is to yours. Why don't you come in and spend the day? He went in to spend the day and never got back. They don't have any night up there. He's still... Well, I better quit. That's my... That's, I, I better quit. God bless you. Let me say this to you. I want you to pray for me. I mean, really pray for me. I want to live a few more years. I've got some more work to do. And when you talk, when you, when you pray, call my name. He knows me.